0: Whether it's you or someone you know, everyone will experience mental health in some way. Everyone's cried themselves to sleep one night, everyone's been sad, everyone knows what pain and grief and all those things feel like, and you also have people in your life who you've seen go through that.
1: Hey everyone. Welcome to episode 24 of the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Mason, and me and Payman and everyone at Mad Happy created this show to have conversations about mental health. We talk about some pretty serious topics on the show. We are by no means professionals and are not giving advice. If you or someone you know needs help, please visit us at localoptimist.com backslash podcasts. Today, we are talking to ex-student athlete, public speaker, content creator, and massive mental health advocate, Victoria Garrick. She has a super inspiring story. She had a TED talk that went viral back in 2017 when she was still a student at USC. And just to hear her experience and how starting therapy and beginning her mental health journey not only changed her life, but is now what she talks about and what she preaches and inspires hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. So we're super excited to have her on. And I think it's a conversation that you guys are really going to be able to take a lot from. The Mad Happy Podcast is powered by Cash App. Each week, we are giving away money to our listeners and to our community for you guys to put towards your mental health, whether it's as small as your morning coffee or even a weekly therapy session. Follow the local Optimist on Instagram and follow the instructions on how to enter this week's contest. And the Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism. Enjoy the show with Victoria Gary.
2: Today, we're joined by our friend, Victoria. You may have seen her TED Talks or her all over social media. She's a huge mental health advocate. Victoria, thanks so much for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan and mad happy, and I am honored to be on the pod.
2: It's actually pretty crazy. Like a couple of months ago, one of my friends, Madeline, sent me uh, one of your posts, and, and that was the first time I came across your content, and have been consuming it a lot since then, and, and it's just been amazing to see because I feel like, A lot of people give social media a hard time, and I think rightfully so in some ways, but I also think you're using it in many ways uh, in in kind of a way that's so positive and and productive, I think, that, like, it kind of flips that narrative around. I'm wondering, like, was that the goal from day one when you started posting that kind of stuff?
0: Certainly. I was very negatively affected by social media in the beginning. And it's funny when I say this because I'm like 24. So it's not like I'm like back when, you know, we didn't have TVs because, you know, I grew up with somewhat technology. But I remember in high school, like getting Snapchat, like my sophomore year. So these things were just starting to, you know, come out when I was like a a young teen. And so Instagram, I really feel like when you started to see that kind of traditional like bikini content, like perfect bodies, perfect life, like as I was getting on the app and everyone was kind of discovering like, how are we going to use this this thing? um, I was molding with that. And so especially my freshman year of college was kind of like the peak for me of like editing pictures trying to portray this perfect life. I went to play volleyball at USC in Southern California. So, you know, I felt like I had that expectation. You're this California girl, you're playing volleyball by the beach, like, you know, everything should be amazing and um I really wasn't doing that well in real life. And so, I had this gotten to this place where I kind of like crash like mentally um, and emotionally with, you know, anxiety, depression, and we can dive into all these things. And so I kind of took a step back to look at my life. And I realized that the way I was using social media was not good for me at all. And so I kind of had this like complete 180 where I was like, I am going to be posting what I want, what's real to me, no filters, no Photoshop. And like, YOLO like I took a YOLO mentality um I didn't have many followers or anything at all um and then it eventually evolved and turned into kind of how I post now because that at the time was so fascinating for people was here's a girl like not caring about what her feed looks like
1: yeah well I feel like uh when I think about Instagram now like I feel like the YOLO mentality so many people were feeling the same way as you and like now that's almost the content that's like the most appreciative and like i'm sure that's enabled your channels to really grow a lot faster than they might have if you were just like editing and using the same apps as like every other a girl was i feel like it's it's kind of cool that the moment that it's having right now If people really want that real stuff they want to see people being vulnerable and things like that i think about my own experience with instagram and it's i've been on a very tumultuous journey with it I mean in the beginning I used it like everyone and then it started to really play into a lot of my insecurities and like my addictions like me getting all of self worth from like having girls like my photos and and things like that and I, I had to delete the app for a few years when I went to treatment and got sober and kind of came back and now even in the last couple of months I've realized that I have a really healthy relationship with it and like I'm posting way more and I'm engaging with people on their way more and I used to think of it so negatively and like now the way i view it is like the thing is the thing but it's more about me and how i view myself and my relationship with myself of like nothing changed on on the app but so much changed within myself to where i now like i'm not using it to gain or make myself feel value or like any of these kind of things and like so much of the work really has to do with us and like with ourselves and it's such an easier thing to do to like blame the app or blame the girl or like blame whatever um, and kind of like take ownership. And that's allowed me to have like such a more healthy relationship with all social medias.
0: And you know why people crave it is because to be honest, like when I first joined the podcast, like five minutes ago, I hop on, right? Like I'm a little intimidated. I'm like, okay, we got these cool dudes are sitting back. Like, you know, like I, I am intimidated. I'm like how, you know, that that's the natural feeling. But then when you now take a moment to open up and you're like, Hey, I'm sober. I went to treatment. I I had these insecurities too. Like I immediately feel like connected to you. Now I'm like, "Oh my god, like I know what that feels like or I know people who've done this." And I want to like continue sharing and now there's like a safety that's been established. And I think when you look at social media and you just see that highlight reel and you see people people who are perfect, you feel like you're for, like so disconnected from them and that you could never really be your true self. But when you're scrolling and you see someone who's being honest or talking about how they really feel, you can relate to that. And so I think it's that like relatability that then leads to a connection and like a safety that is what's encouraging everyone to kind of pull the curtain back more.
1: Yeah, I mean, we definitely relate to that uh, relatability. We actually like to start every single episode with like a prompt from the Mad Happy Journal that we all answer that all kind of gets us in the room very present together because it's so important with the types of conversations that we're having on the show to like all align, all take each other's temperature um, and kind of all get real. So on that note, today's prompt uh, is lately I'm facing the challenge of um, which one of you guys wants to go first.
2: Um, I can go while well, well, Victoria thinks because it's her first prompt but I think for me um, and, and it's such a good point Victoria I feel like for us like we try to make the podcast setting as like a normal of a conversation as possible because I think even in you know for us when we do podcasts like the guard is usually up for a bit and like it's a natural thing and like we're, we also happen to be behind like a computer I think like making it as like present and as like personal of a conversation as early as possible for us like has led to amazing conversations, and then for you, doing that on social media seems to also have worked quite well. I think when I think about myself, I think often in running this company, I feel very like overwhelmed. Like there's so many things that we're doing or trying to do, um, and I have a very high expectation of of myself and like how I perform and all those sorts of things. And so I think for me, that's led to just like that challenge of like feeling like I'm not doing enough or like I'm not doing good enough or all of those things, which Obviously, when I step back, uh, I don't actually feel that way. But I think in the moment, on a weekly basis, I have that feeling. So definitely something I'm facing the challenge of currently.
0: Thanks for sharing. And I totally relate to that. Like, is it good enough? Is it enough? Like, people look at probably your success and everything you're doing, and they just like keep clapping. And then it's hard to kind of say, this comes with feelings of stress and being overwhelmed. Um, For me, I am currently facing the challenge of wanting and knowing I need to evolve as a person, which means so will my content. And my brand really came from being a USC volleyball player and giving that TED Talk. And it's a big part of how people see me and what they come to my page for, even though that was you know, I graduated in 2019, so kind of recent. And I I bet I could keep milking it for like two more years. But personally, I am ready to move on and be happy and not have to keep talking about these things. And um, not that I want to talk about how I feel every single day. Like that's part of my brand is just hashtag real post. However, like revisiting like the depression that I experienced four years ago that I've worked through, like I, part of me wants to close that chapter, but Everyone on Instagram wants me to keep opening it every single day. So I'm currently facing that challenge of like, you know, I got to be honest with myself. This is emotionally draining for me. and I don't think I have it in me anymore. But then are people going to care about what I say? Am I going to be interested? Am I throwing away like more opportunity? You know, so that's kind of my challenge right now is I do think I'm at like an identity turning point and I am just not sure how it's going to look with all my platforms and it scares me.
1: Yeah, I can actually relate to that a lot. Um, I feel like it's like a blessing and a curse for me that part of our business and like my job is to talk about my experiences. But then at the same time, I feel like I almost like can trivialize them or like then they think that sometimes I think they're helping to like progress what we're trying to do as like a company and like I'm not really thinking about me personally and like it can really be exhausting. And like these are real things that like it's as real as it gets and like it's hard to keep going back there and going back there. But I will say that like some of my most fulfilling moments in my life have really been from hearing people respond to stories that I've shared or episodes that we've done of the show. And I think for you, like we're a few years older than you, but like getting that kind of feedback from those people, like nothing is better than that. There's no kind of growth that like is better than that in terms of really helping and like inspiring people. And uh, at least for me, like, I've definitely been more depressed at times in my life, but I do feel like depression is something that I'll always carry with me. And, like, it's how I grow and how it kind of changes and stays with me and gets louder and quieter at times that, like, I have to continue to check in with. Um But I guess my challenge is similar in a way to you, Payment. I feel like I, I struggle with, like, imposter syndrome a lot and, like, feeling like I'm doing nothing or like since i've been so depressed my whole life i cannot feel proud of myself or excited about myself ever um and i often like it's like my mom or like friends or my girlfriend are always like sending me posts or like this is so cool or like sometimes i don't even tell them things that I'm doing. And then they're like, what the hell? Like, oh, this is so awesome. Like, how come you didn't you tell are me s-
0: speaking my language right now? I like, I so relate to this, right? It's like, you've st- you steamroll all your accomplishments or you do so many cool things all the time that to you, you're kind of like desensitized and everyone else around you, like all, also weirdly like expects of you. They're like, Oh yeah, Mason. Yeah. He's doing another freaking cool thing. Cause he, he does cool things all the time. But to you, it's like, you know it's it's weird being in this position where something you guys accomplish in a week is the highlight of someone else's year like for them to accomplish because that's just the culture and the environment we live in it's like oh cool well when's the next interview when's the next thing well who's the next guest like i i relate
1: <laughs> yeah so it's hard so i mean it's like a it's a huge challenge it's something that i'm trying to work on like uh talk to my girlfriend more about things that are going on at work or even just like take a step back or, like you were saying p and like feel like, you know what, that's really cool. Like, if the version of myself from five years ago, you just told him this, like, he'd be freaking out that we did a collab with Pixar and, and worked on the new Space Jam movie. Like, that's, like, that's incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, so I'm just trying to, like, be more aware of that. For you, uh, Victoria, we always like to start at uh, the beginning, right? where we all came from, why we are, our families. Uh, I know that you grew up in like a pretty athletic family. You were the oldest of three siblings. Uh, can you share with us just a little bit about your upbringing and kind of your family of origin?
0: Yeah, I was actually the middle child. So I have oh, an older brother and a younger brother. Oh, you're good. You're good. I have an older brother, and younger brother. My older brother uh, was golfed at UCLA. So he definitely has the athletic gene. My younger brother could whoop your booty in any video game ever made, but (laughs) we like to say he's capable um, in in sports (laughs) departments. I definitely came from a family where achievement was celebrated. And looking back on it now, I was never like told I wouldn't be loved or I wouldn't be good enough if I didn't achieve things. But I just from a young age started doing things and wanting to win and got good grades. And that was celebrated And also the area I grew up in was really very competitive, like amongst families and kids. And what does your kid do? And what does my kid do? And everyone kind of had this pressure to have this like perfect lifestyle. Like we always joke, you know, like the Christmas cards in our neighborhood. It was just ridiculous. Like every family we know has all their own shit going on. And this person did this and this family, this, but you get these Christmas cards and everyone's fine. And we're guilty of it too. One year we were like, Screaming and crying at each other, taking these Christmas cards, and you know, it was just so fake. And then you like smile, and my mom sends out this like merry and bright this holiday season, and it's like, you know, the whole family's been yelling at each other.
1: That's like the boomer version of like the millennials, like Instagram post is like the Christmas card,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I definitely grew up with this pressure to have everything be perfect and look perfect all the time, and so that is I think one of the reasons why I was kind of like primed to have like a quote unquote downfall or like spiral moment in at school when like I did enter the most high pressure environment ever was like I could not function because I couldn't keep everything perfect.
2: And I guess I'm wondering like obviously now looking back, you could see like I feel like I had a lot of those things too. I always wanted to like be the best when I was younger, like get good grades, do really good in sports. Like in that time though, did you feel that that was like Weighing on you, or you just felt like kind of like, oh, like that's just like my life and it's like normal and how I'm living?
0: Great question. And definitely the second. I was just like, that's me. Like I'm Victoria. Like I get shit done. I I win. Like I, I I find a way. Like that was just how I viewed it, which is another reason why I had such a misconception about what mental health was. I was like, oh, anxiety, depression, that'll never be me. Like I'm too strong. I'm too hardworking. Like I viewed it as a weakness. And so I was double caught off guard when I that did become me cuz I felt like how like I I don't let these things happen. So that was a lot of unlearning I had to do in realizing it, you know mental health issues aren't weakness or something everyone's going to experience. Um but it certainly was hard for me to understand because yeah, I just thought this is me. I I function at this level all the time.
2: Yeah, and I I mean I feel like I grew up very very competitive. I would still say it's like probably one of my defining characteristics but i think i've grown um to understand like kind of what to be competitive about and like how to like contextualize it more and like not always like make everything a competition um i think i guess my question there is like was it not until you were playing volleyball at usc until you were like oh this is like my first like mental health experience right like i'm feeling like this like anxiety like was that the first moment um that you can think back to of like identifying it
0: Being honest, yes, I never had like continuous anxiety the way that I did my freshman year of college nor had I ever experienced any storm of depression and like form of depression. And my sophomore year, I was like in a major depressive episode. And I had definitely never, ever felt depression before college. Anxiety, when I look back, yes, I do remember moments in high school, like when the, with the SATs and things like that, where I was like maybe like getting extra stressed, but not enough to have like diagnosed performance anxiety. Um, so it all came in college to a head. And then with like body image issues, I definitely had problems like from the age of 13 years old. However, it's so messed up for young girls and, and like women. Well, Cause at the time I look back at what I was doing and I'm like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Like everyone did, everyone counted their calories and everyone drank diet shakes and everyone was obsessed with the Victoria's Secret fashion show. And then you get older and you're like, wait, that's really unhealthy. You shouldn't be obsessed with those things and counting those things at 14 years old. And I was certainly like a disordered eater. And the way I kind of viewed it is like, everything did come to that breaking point in college.
2: I could definitely relate to that experience in that looking back, you can kind of see signs of just like behaviors or like habits or like things that you were doing at the time where you're like, oh, like now I would recognize that as like, you know, something that I should be thinking about at least. My question is, like, okay, like, you loved volleyball your whole life. Like, you, you walk on at USC, it's, like, on paper, like, the best time of your life. What was that initial feeling for you, like, when you did start to feel, like, the anxiety in your sophomore year starting to go through that, like, depressive period? Like, were you, were you just trying to, like, understand, like, why you were having these feelings, even though it was, like, supposed to be, like, the best time of your life?
0: Well, when the anxiety started, I didn't even know like what was going on with me because I I was so confident. I always found a way. Like, you know, my uncle always calls me a winner. Like I just – I didn't even know. I was like, why are my hands shaking? Like why can't I pass the ball? Why – am I like about to cry right now? And I like literally have dreamed of this my whole life. And I was not supposed to touch the court. Like I was barely even supposed to make this team. And then I was not supposed to play in my freshman year. I'm starting and we're the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And we've been got the national player of the year and we're undefeated. And like everything was just beyond the expectation. So I back to what you said, Mason, I definitely had imposter syndrome of like, am I good enough to be here? How am I in this role? Um, I can't believe that I'm here. So I'm like starting to really lose all my confidence, overthink everything. I'm becoming very afraid of playing, but I've never like associated with anxiety, heard of performance anxiety. Like I didn't, I wasn't even able to recognize what was happening to me until, you know, it got really bad. And then that's when I started to understand like, oh, you know, this, this is what's happened. And then I think something else you mentioned was that like perfect lifestyle, right? This is everything that I would have wanted. So when I was depressed, I felt that extra added element of guilt. You don't deserve to be sad. You don't deserve to be depressed. Like you are so blessed. You're so privileged. Like a million volleyball players would kill to be like in your position. Like, why aren't you happy? And so then you have that added like you're invalidating what you're going through. And then you are denying yourself of help and accepting what's really going on because you don't feel like you deserve it. And, you know, looking back now, an injury is an injury. And it's, we're able to convince ourselves that, you know, we don't deserve to be feeling a certain way because it's invisible. But if I like sprained my ankle, I wouldn't say, you don't deserve to have a sprained ankle. Like you work out all the time and like you train here, like you should be fine. Like walk it off. I'm like, no, my, my, foot is freaking injured so when you look at a mental health issue and you like are dealing with mental illness or you have clinically diagnosed depression it doesn't matter how blessed my life is and how nice people are around me if there's something broken inside it's broken inside
1: yeah it's uh it's so tough with mental health obviously because so many people are in like the seeing is believing mindset and it's obviously something that you can't really see or understand if if you've never really experienced it yourself i think your question is such a good one payment because when i think about my own experience too like on paper things were going as good as they've ever gone for me like our our company was starting to take off we had just received like an investment that was a dream come true it was like i was working with my best friends and literally on paper it was amazing but that's also when i was experiencing the worst time of my life and when i was fully suicidal and when i had to go away and get help so i think like that stuff really and and no one would have known right no one would have known not even like you guys really knew the full extent and i think there's so much like shame and not being grateful or like you were talking about to where it's just like all you can do is just curl up into a little ball and just like you want to be so alone and like don't want to do this anymore and like for me what i'm so passionate about now is like having these conversations and getting people to listen to themselves and getting people to share how they feel with other people that they can trust so that it doesn't get to the point where it got to for me, where it's just like, then you need to scream as loud as you can that you need help. And like that, that's really why I feel like these types of conversations are like so important. And even like you are sharing your story. It's like, we just need to get people to realize this isn't so crazy and, and, and scary and we can just talk about these things. Um, And then it just becomes like, more chill and just part of our everyday conversation. Like if you have a stomach ache or a sprained ankle or anything like that, it's, it's, it's really no big deal.
0: Exactly. And whether it's you or someone, you know, everyone will experience mental health in some way, like, you know, and with majority of people, it is them who've had that experience. And even if it's not them, everyone's cried themselves to sleep one night everyone's been sad everyone knows what pain and grief and all those things feel like and you also have people in your life who you've seen go through that so i think it's great that like you guys are really unpacking the stigma and bringing so many people together to have a conversation because then no one has to feel alone right and like mm-hmm. they they can't reach out
1: yeah so once you uh kind of realize like something's going on here i'm feeling these feelings what were your next steps in terms of like getting help? Like who did you kind of reach out to? What did you know about the space, if anything? Um, And how did you kind of navigate that, especially uh, since it was all new?
0: I did not know much about seeking help. Um, I casually approached a teammate who I trusted. Like, like, I think I, I was like fishing. I was like, this is like really hard. Like, is it hard for you? You know, I'm like trying to like, Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, do you also want to die? No, I'm kidding. I'm like trying to like just slowly get her to say something where I'm like, yes, yes, me too. So eventually, you know, this teammate who I'm so grateful for said, yeah, it's, it is hard. I see a psychologist at the health center. Like we can, we can see them. Do you want the email? And I just remember jaw dropping what like you see a therapist and I can see one and at the health center, and we have that for us here, you know, as athletes at the school and so that was like how I found out about it, but then, when I went, I like had a big ego slash like reality check of of what it meant to do that um first of all like the way society had communicated therapy to me was okay you need someone to help you with your life because you can't figure it out mm, that's cute okay go 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 talk to them and like have your little fun and me being the i have the answer i get things done i'm a leader like i want to be a captain for me to feel like i was waving my white flag and surrendering felt like i was losing and i hated losing And so that was hard, was getting over this way that therapy and help-seeking had been stigmatized to me as loss. So that was like where I had to, like that was very hard for me to, to swallow. However, as I start going and I start seeking the help, I start to realize something. You know, I start to realize, oh my God, so I'm learning things. This is helping me. I'm becoming better and stronger. And these are things I never could have known before. That's really similar to the way that when I want to get better, I go in for extra reps and I go meet with coach. That's the same way we go meet with a tutor and we study extra to be good in school. And we go to office hours. Like all of those forms of help seeking, parents, friends, everyone wants you to seek the help. Oh yeah. Go to, go get an extra lesson, stay for reps, go to see the tutor, go, go train extra. But then the minute it's like, oh, I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. It's suddenly not cool to go be like, oh, well, I don't have the answers here. And so that's when I kind of realized this is, wait, this is silly. This is crazy. Why, why is this not been accepted? And so then that kind of lit the fire in me to be like, My whole opinion on the matter had shifted um, and I realized there was a different way to view mental health and then that's what kind of gave me the fire to then go speak about it um, because I couldn't let the narrative continue the way it had, which kept me from seeking help.
2: Yeah. And I feel like, um, Victoria, I feel like we're kind of similar in in just like mindset, especially growing up like, oh, like I want to be the best. Like I'm going to go like extra hard, extra hard, extra hard. And then even – you know, even when we did fail, it was just more like, okay, like, how can I get better the next time? How can I get better the next time? And I think a lot of what I've learned, and I actually only started therapy this year. um, So in January, but um, I've been going every week. And I think a lot of what I've learned has been like, things that I didn't even know, I, you know, I kind of didn't know. And I, I feel very fortunate of like, about like starting therapy in a time where like, I didn't feel like I was in a crisis. But like, I feel like all the tools I've developed from that, for someone who has that like, achievement like mentality has helped me because like I do feel good about going just like I feel good about when I work out or when I finish all my work for the day like it's like the similar feeling after a while and I think at the beginning it was it was very much like oh my god like does this mean like I you know like like you said I can't do this on my own but I think from that I quickly realized oh it's like a new challenge you know it is hard to to actually commit to like therapy and doing it every week and all of those things and and then like you said like it's not even just therapy, right? Talking to a friend, um, you know, that first friend you talk to is, is a huge step as well. And I think we try to talk about like having support channels and like not all of those are therapy, not all of those things are like medication and things, but like just talking to people about it and having it be part of like your daily combo, uh, is is how we try to approach it.
1: What do you think is like the biggest lesson that you've learned from being in therapy so far?
2: Um, I, I think I'm someone that's like not really like prone to like talking about things. And it's not that I don't, I don't think it's that I don't necessarily want to. It's just like, I don't dwell on things very much. Like I'm just like onto the next thing, onto the next thing, even if it was something really good or something really bad. I think that's just like how I'm normally wired. So being in therapy is like kind of the only time in the week and now more times, obviously trying to talk more about it with my friends, but it, that I'm, like, able to, like, reflect on on how I'm feeling and, like, naming different emotions and talking about, like, how it affects me rather than just, like, explaining a situation, you know? Like, here was this, like, really annoying thing. Yes, like, that's great, <laughs> but, like, like how did it affect you? And, like, I was very bad at that. Like, I was, I was never, like, oh, it made me feel sad. Like, that stuff was very hard for me to say just because I wasn't ever used to doing that.
0: And you know what else? And it's kind of, like, I don't want to you know, diagnose you or like make you think it some type of your way. Because I do think sometimes you can go on a portal on like TikTok where they're like, do you drink water? Because that means like, you know, you have trauma. Like, you know, it's just so general. But I will say like, you know, uh, Payman, you were like, that's just how I am. Like, you know, I don't really think too much about it don't care too much. And it's like, well, in therapy, you explore that. Well, why is that the way that you are? You know, like, is it because you don't want to feel like you're afraid that it's going to be too much to feel or it's easier not to feel? And I think that's why therapy is so helpful Is you analyze your own patterns and the way that you cope with things and handle things. And maybe it is healthy and it's a good thing, or maybe it's not, but you've, therapy is like looking at a mirror, but the mirror is a professional who's helping you, um, you know, dissect.
2: Yeah. And, and I think it's also just, um, one thing that, uh, I've noticed in therapy is just like, even when my, my honestly my therapist doesn't talk a lot, which I think makes it harder but also good. Uh because he's really making me like do a lot of the talking. But you
0: ever
1: just like sit in silence or just like a forty five seconds and it's just like
2: Yeah, we do. Fuck, I hate like, that. I'm like, yeah. can you tell I me the answer? And yeah, like yeah. or,
0: <laughs> just tell me the answer. You know,
2: just or just ask me a question. But but I think um I think the funny part is like when he does say something, it oftentimes it makes me like like I get a feeling inside when it's like clearly something that like bothers me or I don't want to talk about. And like, I just like quickly notice it in therapy because it happens so much. And I'm like, Oh, like, obviously, like, I, I, I'm not talking about this thing enough, which is why it's like making me feel this way. Um, and so I think a lot of that has been uh, helpful for me to just like work on or think about or go through. And then, and then it's still just so early. So I think a lot more to come.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, think about like mental health as a whole is like so big and so scary for people. And then like inside of that are like all these other things that are just as stigmatized, if not more, like it's like, all right, I can get on board with mental health, but therapy, no way. Like medication, no way. And like one of the parts that I connected to the most about your talk was speaking about medication and like your experience with it. And I was like the same exact way of just like fighting it for as long as I could and as hard as I could. And then it just kind of clicked one day of just like, why are you resisting help or like how can you be so on board with like going to therapy and being a mental health advocate and sharing your story and all these things but then not taking this other bit of help I don't know why for me it was like such a extra mental hurdle but I'm just curious if you could share a bit about like your experience with medication as well
0: for sure I have been someone who is like I don't even want to pop an Advil. Like, I'll feel my pain. You know, that was like me as an athlete. I'm like, I don't want to numb anything. And so, when my psychologist and I kind of realized like I should start antidepressants and that that would really aid me in like getting through these times and also healing, it was certainly tough for me to comprehend because there is another, there's its own stigma with mental health. Is that like, you're someone who needs these pills because, you know, you can't do it yourself. And it's that way of thinking then makes you feel like insecure, like, you know, you're not, something's wrong with you if you need to take those things. But I just kind of realized like, this is all a part of what I need to get better. And if I tore my ACL, I wouldn't say, no, no, no. I don't want x-rays. I don't want stitches. I don't want stints. Like, I'm, it's going to heal. It's going to heal. No, it's not. Like, you need – that's why we have evolved to this place in the world that it we're so fortunate to be in with medicine and science and doctors – who are like okay let's take this x-ray let's put these stitches in like i always take mental health and i think of it as physical health because it's it's so compatible and there's such less of a stigma on physical health no one thinks there's something wrong with you or you're weak or you know whatever if you get your stitches and your stinson for an acl tear but all of a sudden an antidepressant medicine or an- anxiety medicine People view differently. So that was how I, I viewed it as like I need this. There's a chemical imbalance in my brain that no matter how positive I am, and how hard I try, it's never gonna balance out. And this medicine is gonna allow me to get to a stable place. And so I really had to take a step back and view it that way.
1: For sure. On the uh on the physical and mental health note, I literally wrote this down because we always talk about it too, how like so much of the work that we're trying to do is to get people to think of them in the same vein and and how similar they are but you said something also that kind of highlighted some of their differences and that was like really eye-opening to me also and I had never thought about it in that way of like speaking about your experience as an athlete and and kind of the mentality of like no pain no gain and like just kind of pushing through it and like that's an example that we never talk about that I want to highlight is like They're not the same in that way, right? Like there's no – like you don't just kind of want to shove it under the rug and like push through it on like the mental health side. And that was the first time that I had ever really heard someone speak about components where they're different and like the shift in mindset you have to have when thinking about them of like it's not just something that you can kind of just like grind it out and like get through.
0: Totally. And there's something that you're hitting on here that I think is like what people struggle with and it's usually where like big time – coaches and athletic departments, it's like where they hesitate the most with maybe my message or mental health in general is like, are we softening people? Are they not going to be as hard? And there's a difference here. There's mental health and there's mental toughness and they're different. And people really misconstrued them often. And so to define them, mental health is just your overall state of you know the health of your mind, right? So it's like physical health overall at your base. Like how is your mental health? Cool. We've got that. Then mental toughness is the is something that you can train. It's kind of your ability to handle adversity, challenge, obstacles in your way. It's something that is a skill. It can be developed. You can get better at being mentally tough and being resilient. So then how do these things relate? Well, to quote my favorite uh, sports psychologist, Dr. Michael Gervais, he says, mental health is the foundation for sustainable high performance and mental toughness Is the bridge between the two. So mental health is the foundation for sustainable high performance, and mental toughness is a bridge between the two things: mental health and sustainable high performance. And I think it's so important to identify that because you don't wanna be someone who's telling you, you know, yourself, oh, I gotta grind it out, I gotta push through, I gotta push through depression or anxiety or PTSD or an eating disorder. That's your mental health. We gotta take care of that. If you are perfectly healthy and you just don't want to wake up at 6 a.m. and run sprints, but you want to be Olympian, maybe you gotta wake up at 6 a.m. and run sprints, right? That's mental tough. That's grit. So I think when we define these things and we understand them, then you as the person can identify, okay, well, which which bucket am I in? And then how can I treat that?
2: Yeah. And it's actually an amazing definition because cause I feel like I view sports and like the experience I had like playing basketball my whole life through high school as like one of the best things that ever happened to me. I feel like sports are such a good uh kind of like metaphor for life of all the things you're gonna have to like deal with, which is like the work that you have to put in that no one sees, and then like the adversity of like losing games or getting injured or whatever. And I teams, feel like, yeah, like also. in teams and working with people and 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 how you can't do it alone and and all of those things. And I feel like I've learned so many amazing lessons from it. But also a lot of what, what like people don't talk about is like that is not the same thing as like your mental health right and like you're learning tools like you said that are part of like your mental like toughness bucket of like yeah are you going to do what it takes are you going to do what it takes but that's with the assumption that the base is good right like the same thing as yeah. like taking a thousand shots a day it's like you can't do that if your ankle's broken like right so it's like it, it's an amazing definition
0: and with sports culture it's so easy to think like you know you got to do xyz and and i remember my older brother who And he's evolved as well. But like when we were in high school, you know, he'd say, You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And he'd like wake me up to go work out with him. And he's, you know, since got to a different place with his approach to sports. But when you're growing up in athletic culture, like a few years ago, it was very much like that Mamba mentality of like, just don't make excuses and get it done. And I was grateful to be getting to know Kobe in 2019. And I talked to him about Mamba mentality. And, you know, he was saying, like, there's an element of it that people forget. And it's the ability to identify weakness and work on it. And if you are identifying that you have a weakness when it comes to anxiety, depression, something like that, it takes it takes being Mamba mentality to then say, I need to put the time in here. I need to work in here. I need to take a break here. And it's so powerful to hear someone like him who did define a type of athlete mentality, acknowledge um, the many different components of sport, including taking that break and that recovery and how important it is.
1: Yeah, that that's amazing. I mean, we both grew up idolizing Kobe. I have a portrait of him on my leg. He's probably like my biggest role model in like all of oh life. Oh my gosh, um, you have a tattoo. I need to see it. I mean, I, I was just getting chills like hearing you speak because I – people do misconstrue kind of what the Mamba mentality is. And I think it's important to remind the, the human aspect behind it, the being kind to yourself aspect behind it. It's whatever you do, just doing it with that mentality, even if it means being vulnerable or asking for help or or working on yourself or all of these things. Um,
0: I got a cool, I got the first time I was privileged, honored, grateful, lucky, like beyond me to, 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 talk to him, it was actually recorded and I asked him about mental health. So I'll send you guys the clip because oh God, his please. answer is game changing.
2: Yeah. I mean, we'll definitely include that in the show notes. And, and I think the same thing. I think a lot of people that are super like loud and, and that sort of thing, get this like wrong rep of like, Oh, they don't care about your mental health. And they're just saying like, do whatever it takes no matter what. And, and I think you really have to like know and listen to like the actual words that the person says, to really be able to like, kind of like make a judgment on that.
1: Yeah. I, I was going to say too the, uh, the mental health and the mental toughness thing. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's something that I don't think about enough. It's something that we've never talked about on the show. And even thinking about my own experience, like I knew that I had mental health issues growing up. And I so, so often use that as an excuse to be mentally weak or like to give up on something or to quit or Mm. to run away and like blame that on my poor uh, mental health. And like, that led to me now still struggling with my mental toughness. Um, So it's just – it's super profound and I'm glad that you shared about it.
0: That's a fascinating – that's a fascinating like personal assessment is like how – you become so comfortable with like validating your feelings and giving yourself the the slack that you need that in the moments that you know you do have it in you, you lean on it. I think I maybe went that direction as well, like following my depression and stuff. So yeah. um, that's cool. I've never like heard anyone verbalize that.
1: Yeah. I always say uh, I'm so in touch with myself that it really is my blessing and my curse. So yeah. there's me.
2: Um,
0: Victoria, <laughs> I wondering... love it though. <laughs>
2: I'm wondering, like, so once you decided to really start sharing your story, start sharing more content, one thing I watched the other day was that YouTube video you put up about your body image issues that you've had and the eating disorders. And 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 it was an amazing video to watch. Um, we, we started this thing on The Local Optimist a few weeks ago called Body Talk, which we're trying to, like, highlight that uh, on an ongoing basis. And, and it's been amazing to just, like, hear different stories within the community. I think for you... It seemed like you still had like a lot of hesitation to share that, even though it seemed like your audience knew about it. Like, what was that like fear, like, of of like doing that? And then like, how did you feel after sharing it? And like, I'm sure the reception was pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. So, and I like start to smile because like it's still one of those things that like I like have to use humor to like talk through. But like, when you are a binge eater, so that was my eating disorder, right? Binge eating, and it's not quote unquote glamorous. Like when you think of a girl with an eating disorder, you think, oh, she doesn't eat. That's the way like it's been perceived in movies and media and magazines is like, if you're not eating, obviously it's not healthy, but it's also like glamorized. Whereas the disorder I had was restriction followed by binging, which is eating like copious amounts of food, which to me like felt so shameful, especially being a girl and like having two brothers who always were supposed to eat more than me. And were supposed to like, you know, I was supposed to be a lady. So when I would cope with food at the end of the day with, from being so anxious and so hungry and so sad, and I would eat all this food, it's a mix of embarrassment. It's a mix of, I feel like I lost control um, it's so secretive. And I was not comfortable sharing that with people. I literally gave my TED talk and I went up there and I talked about suicidal ideation, but I wasn't open about binge eating because that still felt so terrifying to me. The way that my story actually came to be long story short, I did an interview with a magazine and they interviewed me for like an hour and then made a two minute social clip. And the social clip was like the most worst things I had said in this hour interview where I got close and whatever, you share your heart. And then they just, you know, it wasn't, I felt exploited. However, my story was out there and I didn't have a choice and I didn't share it on my pages. I was like, whatever, like I'm not sharing this because I don't want anyone to see it. But people saw it and people that saw it came to my page, and I got all these messages of I was a binge eater and this is what happened with me. And that gave me the confidence to know there was an audience who would understand and who would say, oh yeah, yeah, I get you there. And then I started to kind of own that story and take it back and tell it the way I wanted to tell it. So when it came to binge eating and my body image issues, I wasn't necessarily ready to put all the details out there, but they they got out there and then I was able to feel confident on the other side.
2: Yeah, and I feel like it, looking back, it seems like it, it was like a great way for it to unfold because ultimately, like, like for me at least, I feel like the things that I'm not talking about right now are like the ones I need to be talking about, and and just like these different like pressures that we put on ourselves to like not talk about certain things. I think the eating one's an interesting thing because I've had an interesting relationship or a complicated relationship with food because after my freshman year of college, like I gained like you know twenty five pounds, whatever, and and started eating super healthy after that. And, and like, you know, discipline's like always been my thing. So I'm like, I'm really good at doing whatever rules I set for myself. And so it, that, that I think was very productive to a certain extent, but then at some point it crossed over and it was like too much, right? Like thinking about everything I'm eating or thinking about what I'm going to eat next or like eating too much. And then like, like you said, feeling like the shame towards it. And I think it took me, took a long time for me to, to realize that like, that wasn't, you know, that was something that I needed to like figure out or talk in therapy about or all these things because it it's part of like the overall like story of, of me, you know. And I think we don't think about food in the same way we think about like drugs, right? And I think like it which is which is weird because like I think in many ways they have very similar tendencies of like addiction and like and like withdrawal and all those things that like I feel like I've felt over the past you know, many years, but like never really understood that that was even an issue.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Totally. Thanks so much for sharing that because it is also something that happens to all people, like not just girls, women, it's guys as well. It's anyone can experience, you know, difficulty with a relationship with food. Something that a specialist said to me that I thought was fascinating is there's two relationships that you have to have in life. The first one's with yourself and the second one is with food. Like we have to eat food to live. You have to have a relationship there. Yet the messaging around eating is so tied to appearance and how do you eat to look a certain way and have your body be a certain way. And we don't spend enough time getting in tune with our bodies of like, okay, how do we recognize if we're hungry? And then if we recognize that we're hungry, how do we decide what's going to satisfy us emotionally, physically, make our bodies feel good? And I was 19... 20 years old when for the first time I was asking myself, am I hungry? And do I want an egg white? Like, do I like egg whites or am I just eating egg whites? Because that's like what every girl tells me I should eat an egg white. And I was getting back to that very natural intuition of like, how to eat, and so the practice that I've adopted um, is called intuitive eating. And um, when I was, when I say adopted, I mean I have begun this practice. I didn't coin it; it was created by Elise Resch and Evelyn Triple But the gist is basically peeing. If you have to pee, what happens? You get this urge. You are like, I got to pee. You go pee. You're done. You don't think, oh my God, I have to pee, but like I'm only supposed to pee two times a day. And then this person or this guy only pees this many times a day. So I gotta pee that many times a day. And if I pee, how am I gonna look after I pee? You just you get the urge and you go. So when eating at its core is so similar when you look at like toddlers, they get a cue that they're hungry, they eat, they stop when they're full, and they eat what tastes good and what satisfies them. So that is a practice that if anyone's interested in, is it's called intuitive eating. There's a book called Intuitive Eating and it's it's life-changing.
1: Yeah, I definitely encourage everyone to go check that out because that was a question that I had written down too after I watched that video of like just the concept of this and the simplicity of it and how childish it is in its nature is like so beautiful and cool and like pretty simple at the end of the day. i just like when you feel it, like when you got to go, you got to go. Um, <laughs>
0: right. It, yeah. it, it is harder when you put it in practice. But of in, in, in ta- speaking forms, <laughs> yes, it is simple.
1: Yeah. The uh, one of the last lines of your TED talk was saying how you hope that the the conversation kind of gets louder. Um, Obviously, with that being three to four years old, I'm curious how you now view the conversation. Um, Has it gotten louder uh, and how so?
0: Oh, certainly. Yeah. It is like picked up at such a rapid pace, one that I probably didn't think would happen as fast as it did the examples i usually give are like when i was depressed and googling athlete mental health like i didn't find a kevin love players tribune article i didn't find a simone biles video i didn't find you know, those things that we see now everywhere, like a mad happy, which is amazing that we have these things now. So the conversations picked up at such a rapid pace. I think the next thing to follow is that accessibility. Like, it's great that we talk about it. It's great that we encourage people to do it. How do, how do they see a therapist if they can't afford it? How do they see a therapist if it's not available to them at their school? So that second component now is like access, which, um you know, is one of those next things I'm I'm trying to help work on specifically in the student athlete community. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you can't solve all the problems in the world, but being close to student athletes and, and that's what my nonprofit, the hidden opponent is. We try to give access to free resources every week.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great way to put it. We also, so we started the brand in 2017 and quickly mental health became like our, our mission as a brand, right. To just make it, cooler to talk about, more more people to know about it. And we didn't know at the time that it would become like this thing that like everyone's talking about is like in the forefront now, right? It was like before mental health was cool or whatever, which is weird to say. And I think for us, like what we've seen, like you said, it's like about the awareness piece first, right? So like just talking about it is the first step. But then the second one is really understanding like what you have to do next. And that's really what we're trying to do with The Local optimists with this podcast of just like, where can people get help? And we're not playing every role, right? We don't provide therapy, but hopefully we could show you where, where you can go to find that, whether it's through your insurance or it's through all these providers that are available now. And so I think understanding our role, it has been like a key part of that because like that's what we're good at, right? Like we can make it, a cooler conversation or people that want to be able to talk about it more, but we can't do everything.
0: And well, and that's so important. And like you, you want, it's like a team, you understand your role and you like exhaust it to the best of your ability. And I think what you guys like making mental health cool is so important, especially like you guys being guys. I mean, it's still as much as the conversation has evolved, like it is still very, very hard for dudes to like really want to talk about these things. And, um, completely we still need like that destigmatization because it is still stigmatized. You know, as much as in our community, I'm sure you you, you guys and I probably feel like every day you're having these conversations and then you zone out of like your life and the work you do and you realize other people elsewhere aren't still and there's still so many areas it does need to be made cool.
2: For sure. I wonder like how do you think about what's next in terms of your content? You kind of alluded to it already, but like where do you hope to take it? Like obviously you're doing a lot of great work with student mental health. Like is that student-athlete mental health, is that going to be one of the main focuses as as you progress?
0: You know, I set so many goals when I was younger. And, and maybe you'll uh, relate to this. Um, I set so many goals and I wanted to box check so many things that now in my like adult life, I'm really trying to focus more on the process and just waking up every day, speaking what's on my heart, like – showing up to the best of my ability, connecting with people, seeking opportunities and like going to bed and then waking up in the next day to the best of my abilities, going to bed to the best of my abilities. And I hope that in like five, six, 10 years, I look back and I'm, I'm somewhere pretty cool. Um, It's just been helpful for me to try to take it one step at a time because I know what it's like to box check and seek paper accomplishments. And so I'm trying to do it differently.
2: Yeah. I think uh one thing I, before we wrap up, one thing I recently red was just talking about how like if you just follow like your curiosity just like day by day for like 10 years then like where you get to will be like so crazy like none of your goals could have really like imagined that and i think like that's been very true for for myself i think for us as a company like every time we look back six months or a year we're like wow like that was that was crazy you know and so i think just trying to stick to that even though it's hard sometimes is uh definitely where i've been focused and Obviously, there's gonna be a lot of like ups and downs on the way there, but I think that's the point, and like the journey is like the beautiful part about
0: it. Definitely. Actually, someone I uh spoke to, his name's Ron Boss Everline. He's Kevin Hart's uh, personal trainer. Did you guys see Kevin Hart's documentary?
2: No, I haven't yet. No.
0: Oh, it's good. Well, there's this one scene where this guy is like, talk about, talk about like just mental toughness all the way, but I love him. I love him. He's like just yelling at Kevin Hart, like, you got to get – like, this guy was – when I watched this video, I was just jaw on the floor because he just lives life to 100%. Oh, but anyways, yeah. I, I,
2: I follow him on Instagram. He's amazing. Yes. Uh, yeah, he does He, he yeah. does the
0: running videos. He yeah, smokes you. So good, yeah. Dude, I was smoked. I yeah. got to send it to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's no, the best. He's but anyways, he told me – he was like, if you set goals, you could also be setting limits because a goal is your present perception of what you can do. And what if you can do better? What if you can do greater? What if you can do different? And you won't know. So I love that nugget from him as well.
1: For sure. Uh, Two quick ones before we wrap up. The first is if you could nominate anyone to come on the show. I feel like you actually have a lot of good people for this. But just that have inspiring uh, mental health stories or just people that you've really learned from. uh, Who would you nominate?
0: Uh, I would for sure nominate Nicole Davis. She's my mentor. She's a two-time Olympic medalist, was like one of the best fly ball in the world. Just insane mind. Um, like just she's amazing and she would actually be a great interview. So I would probably nominate her. So I did you ask for one or two? <laughs> uh, one, but okay, that's, that's great. Good. <laughs> uh,
1: and lastly, what makes you mad happy?
0: What makes me mad happy? Time with people that I love. Like I love going to a great dinner getting a drink, some bomb food and just being present and like talking around a table. Like I'm not big on going out at a club and standing and dancing. Like I just want to sit, have some good, good things to indulge in and have conversations like this. So this makes me mad happy. This and maybe a glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
2: Um, well, Victoria, thank you so much. Uh, your story is super inspiring to us. We really, really appreciate you coming on and obviously all of the amazing work you're doing so we'll definitely be uh watching and cheering and if we could ever support in any way definitely let us know uh, but thank you so much for coming on
0: thank you both so much this was like such a highlight of my day you guys are you guys are so freaking cool like i said at the beginning i was intimidated i know you're cool you're even cooler and i'm even more intimidated no i'm kidding <laughs> but um you guys are awesome so thank you
2: yeah thanks thank victoria you. uh and, and thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you guys soon
1: peace Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we're we're 24 episodes in. I think this show has grown and evolved and changed so much, even from what our original intention was for it back in the summer. We're super grateful for the opportunity to have these conversations, to talk to these amazing, inspiring people, and we still feel like this is the only this is only the beginning for us. So thank you guys so much for being a part of the ride, and we hope you'll stay with us as as we continue to grow. And a big, big thank you to Victoria for joining us today and just being so vulnerable and open. I mean, a lot of the things that she spoke about in terms of body image and insecurities, these aren't easy things to talk about. And to hear her be on the other side of it all and really talk about it with that sort of vigor and and passion was really, really inspiring. And to hear that little anecdote that she had about that meeting with Kobe and some of their conversations were personally meant a lot to me. So Thanks again for coming on, and we hope you all enjoyed the episode with Victoria. If you want to support the show, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in next week for our conversation with, where we talk a little bit about mental health. Thanks, guys. See you next time. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.